Jones steps up. Ricketts is at the high point. Jones. Aromaterio has a lane. Nicholas Aromaterio, the shot. Scores! Holy jumping! The Italian stallion puts the puck in the back of the net. Mamma mia, Nicholas Aromaterio! Callum Jones for Potts. At the blue line, kept in by the skate of Thomas Maya. Maya. Down low on the half course, he swings out of the slot for Potts. Kyle Potts has it. Hangs on. Now he shoots. Scores! Holy jumping! How do you do? Kyle Potts. Potts the puck in the back of the net. Blocked that shot. And coming the other way is Alton McDermott. He's in on the breakaway. Scores! Holy jumping! His grandfather, Paul Henderson, must be ecstatic about that one because Alton McDermott just scored his first career Buckland Cup final playoff goal. Has been close. The Dukes are in the Oakville zone. Zone Elvis swung that around. The Blades are trying to tie this puck up. It goes into the corner. The Blades have a chance to get this out. Elvis will tie it up. Ten seconds. Gilmore has it at the point. It's in! Tips! Just wide! Seven seconds! It's back in the corner! Ewing's rocking! Three, two, one! The Oakville Blades! Oh! Holy jumping! Blades win! Blades win! Blades win! The Oakville Blades are Buckland Cup champions! You're watching Mamma Mia! This is Fire Talk with Nicholas Fiore. Welcome back, everybody, to episode 30 of Mamma Mia. This is Fire Talk. I'm Nicholas Fiore, the broadcast voice of the Oakville Blades. And joining me on this edition of the show is former hockey player, professional hockey player, mostly in Germany, uh, Kerry Goulet. Kerry, thanks for joining. I appreciate it. Hey, Nicholas. Thank you for having me on. It's uh, an honor. Absolutely. Thank you. Th thanks for coming on. Obviously, a f uh, former uh, professional European hockey player in Germany. But the, I would say the, the main thing that, that you um, talk about and that you're with is, is stopconcussions.com. Um, yes. The director, Shoot for a Cure as well. Um, obviously, your own, your own show, podcast show, uh, however, however you want to describe it, um, live on YouTube and then live on Facebook Live as well, Gooch Live, um, which I had the pleasure of being on and hopefully to be on more and more, of course. Absolutely. But, um, You're fantastic. Thank you. But th thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. And uh, talk about uh, stop concussions. Well, yeah, thank you. I, I was blessed to play the game uh, we love. Uh, actually, we got to remember it's a game and, and I got to get paid to play a game. Uh, and so I was honored to be able to play uh, and get to the highest level of my talents. I didn't make it to the National Hockey League. I came through the Winnipeg Jets organization and I just went, was just below that line. And uh, then years later, I got an opportunity to go over to Europe and kind of hone my skills and allowed me to become more than just a hockey player. I had a lot of time on my hands. I had a charity called Carrie's Kids named after me. They helped kids on the street, Ronald McDonald's host, uh, kids with cancer. And so while I was over there, I got to understand that being a hockey player, there was more to it than just going out and playing on the ice. There was a lot of off ice suffering a very serious concussion, coming home, uh, meeting uh, Barry Monroe, who ran the Canadian American Spinal Research Organization uh, with, and dealt with neurotrauma. That's where concussions was a part of that. Obviously, anything to deal with the brain and the spine. 
Keith Primo was uh, one of our spokesperson, as was Jerome McGinley. And it, it just became natural finding out that, listen, a buddy of mine broke his neck, uh, you know, when I was 17. So I got involved with the spinal and then suffering my own concussion. And then later, uh, Keith Primo suffering a career ending concussion. It was only natural to get involved. So we started the organization back in 2010 called Stop Concussions. And here we are today, still pound on the pavement, making sure people understand the cause, effect, consequences, and now the management of it through shift concussion management. Absolutely. And obviously, unfortunately, you had to go through a through an injury of, of having a concussion. And that came that came from all of your years playing in playing in Germany. Um, yeah. you, you, you played you played a lot. In, in Germany, uh, professional in, in Division II, uh, three, four, five, and six in, in Germany with, with several teams. But why, why I guess, Germany? And, and why, in a way, eventually, if I can say almost fall in love with Germany in, in playing there and staying there your entire professional career? Well, you know what? Uh, thank you for that question. You know, I was, uh, I was uh, a good hockey player. I wouldn't say... I was the best, of course, because if I had I been, I would have been in the National Hockey League. But in those days, I was really quick. And so I came through junior and, and it was always kind of more of an undisciplined type player, they called me, because if you recall, you would not because you probably weren't born then. But in 1977, the Winnipeg Jets were going from the World Hockey Association into the uh, National Hockey League again. And the, the famous line was Hull, Nielsen, and Hedberg, Alf Nielsen, Anders Hedberg, and they were the European, and they played a very uh, rover type hockey. If you were a left winger, you were on the right wing, the right wing was on the left, and it was just all around chaotic. And I loved that part of the game because I could skate. I kind of emulated them, but unfortunately back in those days, if you want to make a National Hockey League, if you weren't Gretzky, which I wasn't, you had to be that up and down the wing uh, type of player. So long and short, uh, I, I was classified as an undisciplined player because I was all over the map and I loved that type of hockey. Uh, when my draft year came, I was invited out. If I wasn't going to get drafted, John Ferguson Sr. invited me out to what's called a pre-rookie camp to see if I was kind of, I guess it would be like a walk-on today, uh, diamond in the rough. And I went to the, uh, the, the walk-on at that time and, and just, it was a blood fest. It was actually, everybody was fighting and they were looking for whoever was the toughest to come out of that. They weren't worried about skill level. Uh, had I been Gretzky, maybe I would have got through it, but I never had a chance to show my skill. I was getting beaten up too much. <laughs> and so uh, I went into a meeting with John Ferguson Sr. and uh, with a guy named Fran Huck, who was an agent and basically heard from one of the toughest men of all time, uh, in the National Hockey League, John Ferguson Sr. saying, Kerry, you're a good player. We just don't feel you're tough enough. We like to send you down. And I was devastated. My, my career was over. I would never make it, I felt. So I kept playing and bouncing around, playing in what's called the Senior League. Uh, it was called the Allen Cup. You, you, ch you challenge for the Allen Cup. And I got lucky in 1988. I owned a nightclub with a buddy of mine named Dick Davidson. Uh, he was a primary uh, uh, club owner. And it was in Thunder Bay and we won an Allen Cup. And a young boy named Luke Nielsen was on a tour to find the diamond in the rough for Europe. And he saw me play and he said, hey, you would do really well in Europe. You skate, you got a big mouth, you're entertaining. <laughs> and I got over there and, and 
lo and behold, thinking I was only going there for a couple of years. I went at 27. I ended up, you know, retiring at 41. I uh, could have still played a few more years because I ended up being a non-import player uh, and just had a tremendous career. Played with some incredible players like Mark McKay, who is arguably one of the best players I ever played with. Marvin Glazer. We played a line that we ended up one, two, three in the scoring for a few years. And uh, what was the honor is the three of us got our jerseys retired on the same night in the same building in Timmendorferstrand. And uh, I fell in love with it, as you said. Uh, people actually paid to watch me play. People actually wanted my autograph and it wasn't the bank wanting me to pay a mortgage payment. So that in itself, I would have played for free, but unfortunately it's part of the business. I had to get a collective paycheck, put uh, food on the table. And that's how I got to be involved with uh, uh, Germany for so long. And I still am very heavily involved. I was gonna, I was gonna touch upon the uh, retired Jersey number, number, number 29 can no longer be worn in uh, EHC, Timmendorfer. Timmendorfer, hopefully I'm saying that right, Strand. Timmendorfer, Strand, those six uh, in Germany. Um, you said it was an honor, but how, how much of an honor is it? I mean, we, because we retired, we as the Oakville Blades, retired uh, number 16, John Duff, um, last season, and that's junior hockey in Ontario. But for you, I mean, at the end of the day, it's professional hockey, um, and it's in Germany across, you know, overseas in Europe. How honored were you to have a professional German ice hockey team retire the number that you wore, number 29? Well, you know, it was when I got the call from Michel Bertz, uh, he runs the organization called FEATS, which is the fan initiative uh, project there, very similar to a fan club here. Uh, they had never done it before. And this is in a small rink. It, it holds about... 1800 fans but every game we were playing there were 3000 people hung from the rafters so think about and and you got to remember the converted soccer fans 3000 people are 40000 people in a, in a stadium here drums and dancing and singing oh, yeah. they come 2 hours before a game and and leave 2 hours after a game wow. If you won, you walked on water. You never paid for a drink, never paid for dinner that week. Uh, <laughs> if you lost, you didn't go out of your house. You oh, know wow. that from the Italian mentality with soccer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I was also a player coach, which made it even more difficult because I was not only responsible for playing and being at the top of my game, I was also responsible of taking these, these players and molding them into a winning team. I got lucky I did that four times obviously in the different divisions, second division, third division, and fourth division. I joke around about playing in the fifth and sixth. I actually uh, only played once in the fifth division. It was when I went back and played uh, just recently at 59. Uh, uh, yeah, it was kind of a crazy uh, story. Uh, I'll save that for maybe another call or maybe we have time at the end, but um, it gave me an opportunity to, to uh, develop again as a player, I, I was not fortunate enough to go to school and get an education. So I left at 27, I owned a nightclub as I was mentioning, and I didn't really formally educate myself. I always use the adage, I got to grade 12 by passing grade six twice. Um, and it was true, I was not that overly uh, educated, but when I got over to Germany, I was there the night the Berlin Wall fell, uh, you know, which is a historic event. Wow. Um, I was there for the opening of the German East and West. So I was there educating myself, traveling through Europe, Holland, Belgium, 
all the Scandinavian countries, Italy, Portugal, uh, you know, all the way down to Tunisia, Africa, I got to travel and learn. So my hockey career was more than a career. It was a, a learning experience, an educational experience, and then gaining so much knowledge, but also so tremendous uh, players. So when my jersey was actually announced that it would be retired, it brought back all of those great memories that I had through my playing career. And I literally bawled for hours. Like it was, it was, and you know, I'm a pretty uh, open guy. I wear my emotions on my sleeve. I, I couldn't stop crying because it was all the years of my mom waking up early in the morning and driving me to practice in Winnipeg, doing it in outdoor rinks at the Wanaqua Community Club and not giving my parents the opportunity to watch me play in the National Hockey League hurt me. But now to have my father had passed uh, before the jersey was retired, having my mother in the crowd watching this thing happen, I'll tell you what, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't have been a prouder uh, person at that moment. And I, I'm, I'm blessed. I didn't get there without people along the way. Michelle Bertz, you know, being a part of that organization. Uh, hey, Adler, who's no longer with us. Mr. Adler, who was the first person that believed in me, uh, allowing me to be the player coach. Marvin and Mark uh, were tremendous athletes that made me a better player and allowed me to do the things. Your Dietrich, who uh, fell sick uh, with a uh, stroke and is only getting back to normal, uh, I, I send my love and, and, and wishes to him. And then having the craziness of being able to go back and play in a sixth division pro game at 59 and ended up with that team, these young kids that had watched me play, I got to play with them. And they treated me like as I was just one of their teammates. It was only one game and we played well, against well, the yeah. team. And we're, definitely gonna, we're definitely gonna touch upon, to touch upon that later because I yeah. wanna know how that went down. Yeah, um, but you also, you also touched upon being a player coach and you were a player coach um, in 1990, 1992 with ETC, Tim and Dorfer Strand, um, you know, but you don't see that and, and you rarely see that maybe more back then, uh, but now that's, that basically is never going to happen. Um, how was that like for you? Because it's like, how much do you play? How much do you play others? Do you coach more than play? How did that all work? Yeah, very good question. And there, there have been, there's, it doesn't, doesn't happen in the United States, uh, Canada, United States as much. There still are the odd, uh, I know, I remember Rick Aduno was a, a player coach in the AHL, uh, maybe more of assistant coach. Um, I think it's a very difficult task, no question. But again, I was playing, you know, in the third division, which would be kind of East Coast League level, maybe even a little bit under that. Uh, you were only allowed two imports, so a Canadian-American, a Russian, a Czech. And I, because I had some entrepreneurial skills in the back, I had some marketing stuff, I wasn't afraid of getting in front of the mic. My German wasn't that great, but I wasn't afraid to be a leader. Um, it, it became natural. It was a natural. It was a natural progression for me because I, 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 again, not being arrogant, I, I love the game. I, 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 like yourself, very passionate about the game. So I learned how to analyze the game and pick players that were very good, that could help me be better. Mark McKay is a classic example. Marvin Glazer, a natural goal scorer. Uh, Andy Pritchard, who came along later in life in, in when I played in Greyfrath. Elmer Schmitz, the captain of Greyfrath. I was able to, to be able to find these type of players that would understand that I knew what I was doing. They, they, bought, they bought in to my plan. 
I sat down with them all and said, listen, I'm going to be the coach, but I'm also going to play. So what I teach, I'm going to perform. And so I was confident in my skill level at that time to be able to do that. Uh, hard, no question, dealing with the agents, uh, dealing with the management, uh, having those decisions to make on who's going to play and who's not going to play where a sponsor's son maybe was on the team or the management didn't like uh, one of the players I brought in. So they wanted me to play more youth. I battled a lot. There was a lot of disagreements throughout the way. In Timmendorf, I was blessed to have this Jörg Dietrich who uh, was a good player in his day, uh, retire when I became the coach of uh, Timmendorf and he was my co-coach. So Nicholas, to understand it, I would be on the bench. And um, when I was talking with Yurk, I'd say, Yurk, what do you think? This is what we should be doing. Here's who has to go. As soon as I got on the, play, on, on the playing field, I turned off the coach switch because I knew I had Yurki on the bench and I would just go out and perform. It also made me better because at practice, I'd be saying, don't do this, this, and this. So I couldn't go out and do that. I couldn't give the puck up at the blue line where I couldn't make that long stretch pass and get it intercepted for a goal. So there was a lot more pressure put on me and I, I was able to rise to the occasion and only because I got great players like uh, Mike Ver, uh, Verman, again, game, players names that wouldn't uh, mean much to you or to the Canadian populace, um, <laughs> Henry Tom. These guys were just phenomenal guys that ended up helping me along the way to attain success. And uh, I wasn't dumb. I knew that uh, being an import, uh, your lifespan was really quick. Nicholas, if you didn't score and you weren't at the top of the game, you were gone really quickly. So I realized in a very short period of time, you know what, if I became a coach and a player and I performed as a player moderately, but was good at a coaching, I would expand my opportunity to stay longer and was pretty tough firing both of them. So uh, it was a trick and thank God it paid off. And, you know, I had a 16 year career. And it did pay off obviously with, you know, with the 16 year career, obviously it started uh, back in 1975 to 79 playing junior um, with a few teams, Winnipeg Monarchs, Calgary Wranglers, St. Bonifier, if I'm saying it correctly, Assiniboine Park. Assiniboine um, Park, yeah. Um, back then, uh, and then major junior in the MJHL, WHL, 129 games, uh, 111 points within that. And then obviously it, it springboarded you to um, pro hockey. You had four stints, uh, 1988 to 2001, 05, 06, 11, 12. And then we're going to touch upon the, uh, the uh, 18, 19 and 11, 12, uh, uh, one, one, got one game apiece there. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah. you know, in, in Germany division two, uh, it was 19 games one year. With uh, Dagendorfer EC, Dagendorf, yeah, uh, Dagendorfer EC, and then um, five teams in in Germany Division Three, where you got a thousand and sixty-seven points in three hundred fifty-two games, twenty-seven points by the way in Germany Two Division Two, and then Germany Four, another five teams as well, four hundred eighty-four points in one hundred thirty-seven games played. So you were you were lighting the lamp there, and then uh, the the wild one, and uh, back in 2018-2019, one game played, two goals. Six assists, eight points for C.E. Timmendorfer Strand. Um, let's touch upon that right now, and then I'm going to get to a following question. What was that about? One game in 2011-2012, uh, and then one game in, I guess you could talk about both, or, or the latest one in 2018-19. One game, 
Let's go back, pay, play professional hockey with the youngsters. Let's record eight points and let and head back home. What was that about? All right. Well, yeah, that's yeah, it's a little more it's fantastic, exact, though, in my opinion. Uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And I was trying to do the Gordie Howe. Uh, <laughs> actually, what, what happened was is that again, I was given the gift of the gab. I was a marketer. I would go to all the hospitals while I was a player coach. And I became, and, and again, I'm not being arrogant, I'm just telling the facts. A guy like Mark McKay, myself, and Marvin Glazer in that little town. It was a especially in Timon Overstrand, it was, uh, you know, a town of 7,500 in the winter and 125,000 in the summer. It was a beach resort. Uh, and so I got lucky. At the end of it all, uh, I ended up with 2,009 points. They don't, you don't see it all in the numbers there. They kind of missed a bunch of games, but that's for another story. How it all happened was when I was playing for Timon Overstrand in my, as a player coach at the beginning, you know, we won a German championship. It was for the third division. It was called the Oberliga. So again, that's in the East Coast League level. Pretty, pretty big achievement in a little town of 7,500 when we're playing teams from Berlin, uh, from Frankfurt, from Munich, all those you know, cities that are a million, million and a half. And here we are winning in a little beach resort. It was, we were called the Beach Boys because we're literally living on a beach. Wow. And so uh, it was a life of, of being in Hollywood. It'd be like playing in, in uh, Los Angeles. It was like uh, Toronto to, to uh, Barrie, kind of that same distance. Uh, even though on the Autobahn, you could go 200 kilometers an hour. So it wouldn't take you quite as long to get there on the 400. Uh, it gave me an opportunity to really understand the German market, understand that I was more than just a hockey player. I was an, uh, uh, idolized by so many people, put on a pedestal as all the players were. But we had to, we had to give back. And give back was obviously uh, being there for the team. Again, it wasn't Goulet on the back. It was the name of the jersey on the front. And I learned that very young. I also learned to take time to be with the fans. Uh, this day and age, players are, you know, with cell phones and, 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 and all these apparatuses and all these different social medias. Some guys are very scared about being as open and honest because, you know, everybody's videotaping it or, or it's getting your signature, putting it on eBay. Back then, they didn't do that. So we could be a lot more open and free. And... So how it all ended up throughout all those years, going from Timmendorf to Greyfrath, another phenomenal story, starting out in Eschwater in the fourth division, scoring all these points. I was blessed to have the opportunity to uh, have my jersey retired, be recognized in a bunch of these other cities as my career had wound down, coming home, and then being asked to come back several times for these remember games, which would be bring back all the old legends, and we'll perform games and get the fans back in the rink. And, you know, it's always kind of what's old is new. So to come to those two games, the first one in 11-12, uh, I was, uh, had a young boy. His name was uh, Andy Marley. He was our stick boy in my heydays. Um, he was playing for the second team of Timmendorf at that time called the Storm. And they were playing in a league that was in – basically the fourth division, lower end, and um, still a pro league. Uh, he had realized that I had had 19,000, sorry, 1,997 points in my overall career in Germany. And he said, Gooch, we got to get you 2,000. And this was at 52. So I, I said, you're crazy. I, I, he says, Gooch, you can do it. I know you can. So I trained and got in shape and flew over there for one game. I didn't even wear, I hadn't worn shoulder pads in so many years. 
Um, and I got into the game. Uh, place was full. Everybody was looking at this fossil thinking I was going to fail. And I knew I couldn't fail. I had to not let my buddy down. And it was a dream for him to play with me on the same line. He was actually the guy that was taping my stick and, and sharpening my I mean, skates. Oh, yeah. Now he's playing with me. Um, off the game started, we were playing a team, a very close game. My wife had the opportunity to come and see me play for the first time professionally, if you wanted to call that. I had to sign a card, an IIHF card. They had to take my jersey down from the roof, and I got to play. And what was amazing about it was, is that my second shift, I played right wing. I was a left-handed shot. Andy was in the middle. So he was coming around the net in our zone, and you could hang out by the red line. And I never believed in back checking. Uh, so there was no <laughs> red line. So he passed the puck, and I was, you know, collecting, getting ready to get it. And as I was turning, I just got hit from a young defenseman. Like oh. Most of these players were 18 to 25. It could have been their father. Uh, <laughs> some of them could be the grandfather. I got whacked, and down I went. I laid on the ground and realized, what the heck am I doing here? <laughs> Andy skated over and said, Gucci, you okay? I said, yeah. He says, don't worry, I got his number. So I got up realized I'm in a real game, uh, kind of got myself back together. We're down three. I can't remember all the facts, but I know we were down three, one, uh, can't remember exact timing. Uh, I hadn't got a point. I needed three. Uh, and Andy's dream was always to play with me. Uh, we had a face off in their zone. It came back to me. So I'm breaking to the net, played a pass in. He scored. There's my first point. Uh, similar kind of situation. Um, we're in their zone. We were pressuring him. The defenseman saw Andy, the defenseman that had hit me. Andy was beelined to ram, ram him. And he panicked and he tried to flip the puck over top of my, over top, you know, to get it out of the zone. Yeah, yeah. And lo and behold, it lands on my stick. Deep the goalie, put the puck in on a backhand for my second point. Amazing. Uh, and uh, in the late stages of the game, we were tied and I got uh, a lucky chance to make a pass over to Andy and he scores to win the game. Uh, and that was my third point. There was 2000 points, an honor, hoopla, fantastic. There are days I don't need to ever play another game. I, uh, uh, I'm done. Uh, I could have been mayor of the city. Uh, <laughs> It, it was just surreal to be a part of that. Again, I would have never been there without all the great people from my mom, my dad, and all the way through all the coaches and players and playing for the St. Boniface Reals actually in the MMJHL instead of going and playing in the MJHL was probably the smartest move I did because it really got me to understand how to play the game in all the size rates. In that part, I'm retired again. I played one game. And then a few years later comes... 1819, your Dietrich, who had suffered a stroke, he was my co-coach at the time. He said to me on a, a, a further trip, it was Christmas time in uh, 218, and he said, Ooch, we're losing the rink. Uh, the city's having a boat. Uh, you got to remember, this rink's right in the middle of a, a beach resort on tremendous land in a big park, wow. and developers wanted that piece of land. So uh, obviously... They were having a battle on whether to sell it or continue on hockey. Hockey had declined a little bit. And so he thought 
if they brought back some of the former players to give an endorsement to keep hockey in their town, it would work. So he called me first and said, Gooch, I need you. I need you to come back and play. I know it's going to put people in the rink. They were averaging 500 fans a game uh, where we were doing 3,000 a game. He just knew that something like that would inspire people, A, being 59, uh, being fat and out of shape, and showing people that if you put your mind to it, nothing's impossible. And I said, sure, why not? And so long story short, uh, the game was in late February. I had worked out as much as I could. I had skated on a three-on-three rink with no equipment, <laughs> training and you know doing the, the dangles and no oh, goalie, yeah. all that stuff. And uh, never put equipment on. Flew, I had a, a meeting in Sheffield, England on the Tuesday. Flew out of England and arrived Thursday in Timmendorfer Strand. Uh, my sticks didn't show up. They got lost by Lufthansa. Did the press conference, had lunch with everybody. Unbelievable. I, I, it just brought back so many memories. The honor of having film cameras. They followed me throughout the city of the town. Wow. It, it, amazing that a guy that never made it to the National Hockey League, I'm being put on a pedestal. National television in, in Germany, or one of the top RTL, uh, one of the big stations, Northern Germany for sure. And um, after our press conference, uh, I said to the boys, hey, see you tomorrow, guys. I'll be there for uh, game skate in the morning. And your teacher turns to me and says, no, no, coach, we practice tonight. So what? <laughs> we practice tonight. York, nowhere did it say there, I have practice. Practice? You talk about practice. Talk about practice? Said, no, no, you got to come to practice. So I agreed, uh, painfully, putting on my gear for the first time. I'm walking to the rink. Thank God they had already taken my bag over. My sticks had showed up from Lufthansa. They found them. I'm walking to the rink, and there's a lineup out the door. And I'm looking is the game tonight? <laughs> so I, I walked through and every hey, goulet, 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 all the singing and dancing and I'm signing here. autographs. And, you know, I felt like a rock star. I get into the rink. It's full. There's like 500 people in for a practice. Oh, my God. So I get into the dressing room. I was nervous. It was probably the first time I had been nervous because when I sat down in the dressing room with all these young kids, they treated me as if I was one of them. Uh, nobody treated me like I was anything bigger or under. And I just sat there thinking, God, Gooch, I'm going to embarrass my mom, my dad. I'm going to embarrass Yerky for coming up with this silly idea. I'm going to let my name down, my wife down, stop concussions down. And I just sat there and kind of panic, a little bit of sweat coming from me. Andy Marley who was not playing for the team, popped into the rink and said, if there's anybody that can do it, Gooch, it's you. Just put on a show. Just it's your canvas. Go out there and be you. So I took those words to heart. I went out into practice. And uh, as I got to practice, I, I, I hope you have enough time. I'm, I'm not good. going too far. We're good. I, I get into practice. And thank God, you got to remember, I was on a three-on-three -three rink with no equipment. <laughs> And now we're on Olympic-sized rink. Oh. Thank God we had four lines. 
<laughs> and Yurk was smart. He didn't put me on the first line. He put me on the second line and gave me a really young, dynamic, quick defenseman uh, center and put me with one of the old veterans, a guy named Michel Mai, and he put me on that line, which was smart. By putting me on like Joe Thornton with Marley, uh, Marner and Matthews, not that I'm comparing myself to them, no, but totally. it would have been me to try and keep up to those guys. Joe's doing a great job. I would have never been able to keep up to them. And it took the pressure off me because I didn't have to be the star, even though the night was going to be about me. We're playing a team from Hamburg. They were all young kids with sixth division. They were all Russians that lived in a certain area that all played. So, you know, Russians, you thought, okay, they're going to be great hockey players. Uh, it's all about me. Every place is jammed. Goulet jerseys, signs, the whole nine yards. Oh, wow. Film crews followed me all around. There's a video. So if people think that I'm adding a little Technicolor, I'm not. Because it's today, in the old days, I could be getting the shovel out. Oh, yeah. Today with Google, you can't. <laughs> so in European hockey, it's very like soccer. They turn the lights out and they call out each name, each player of the home team. They're calling names out. That night in practice, I tried as hard as I can because all those play people were watching me. I got home to the hotel that night and Nicholas, my body seized. <laughs> I couldn't walk. My I was laying in bed dying. I phoned my wife and said, I don't know what I, I can't do this. And she, of course, Gooch, you got to. You're there now. You can't let everybody down. Yeah. And she says, especially me. <laughs> said, okay. She said, take a shower. I took a two and a half hour shower at 12 midnight wow. with the nozzle turned, just hot water. The next morning I woke up really stiff and I used to have a personal doctor there that took care of our, all of our teammates. Uh, his name was Willie Roker. We just lost him recently. He was a magician. And I showed up early in the morning, said, Willie, you got to help me, kid. And he said, look, here's what we got to do. I'm not going to give you a massage because if I do, all the lactic acid is going to kill you. I'm going to give you this special ointment. It's Chinese such and such from a plant root. I'm going to give you these pills that you take. I want you to take a pill right when you leave here with some food after lunch, just before the game, after your game day meal, rub this oil, take a shower every time you did it. And I, I got to remember that I had signed an IHF card, which meant I had to take doping. I could take doping. So I'm just thinking, oh my God, what is he giving me? Oh no. I get to the rink, as I said, the place is sold out. They're hanging from the rafters. The lights are out, press everywhere. They call the players out and I'm the last one to come. And I'm so excited as I step out, I trip and oh. I slide out onto the ice looking oh, like I was man. Superman. Oh. The most embarrassing thing. I get myself up, I get in line and everybody's laughing on the team thinking, oh my God. Long story short, uh, I, I, we were playing a team that we shouldn't have been playing. It was not fair to them. Uh, they were far below the talent level that the kids without me were. And um, it, it, uh, it was just an amazing, surreal moment. My name being chanted, uh, the young players from the Russian team, uh, the team was called Malat. Uh, they could have ran the crap out of me. I'm 59, they're 20-ish. They could have 
disrespected me and and I, I they could have felt disrespected because here this old guy's coming on their turf to play um but in the end of the game um it actually ended up as it usually does in germany uh all the stats weren't right uh, i had scored two goals and had six assists and going into the last two minutes of the game your teacher turned to me and said gooch you need to score your hat trick. And I said to him, no, come on, let, it's not, it's no gooch. It's 24, nothing. I need you to go and score your hat trick. So we put me out with the big boys, the two young studs. It was a face off in their zone. The, young, the poor goalie had looked like uh, uh, Denny Lemieux from the movie Slapshot. Yeah. He'd taken probably a hundred shots. Um, and yet to this moment, nobody had ran me. Nobody, they'd thrown the body a little bit, but nobody had taken advantage of me being this old. You could see that my legs just couldn't do what these young kids could do. But the, you know, the smarts were still there, a little bit of the hands. So at 24, nothing, you gotta make it fun. I skated over to the goalie who was Russian, little short guy, couldn't speak any English, very barely some German. And I said to him, I'm sorry, we're gonna have some fun. Uh, I'm gonna try and score and please don't take it wrong. And he laughed and joked and we set up for a face off and lo and behold, I'm in front, I score. And the first person to congratulate me was the goalie jumping off the ice, like he was springboarding, high-fiving me. <laughs> and as I'm skating back, all the boys, there are great pictures of it, all the boys are there hugging me and all that sort of crap before COVID time. Oh, yeah. As I was skating to our bench to do that usual hand pump, their bench is up. And I do the hand slap to them, get to ours, do it to us. And then the rest was history. It was a party like no tomorrow. So it was actually, it was a hat trick, three goals, nine assists, uh, six assists for nine points. But it was a 25 nothing game. And I stood at the warm up with my stick like Kenny Dryden not because I was doing anything other than trying to catch my breath. <laughs> I watched the young goalie and I knew that he had no chance on this team. We were just too powerful. And the problem is when you play in those type of games, you, you feel bad, but it would have been a worse if we didn't try, right? Dump the puck in the corner, go on a breakaway and trip. I, I don't think it would have been the same. So nobody felt bad. <clears throat> Party went on till wee hours in the morning. I couldn't hardly walk for two days. But it was the best moment, one of my best moments of my life, knowing that I showed a lot of people, you're never too old and nothing's impossible. And would I do it again? I had plans of maybe going back at 60 and playing in the, uh, a game. But unfortunately, COVID stolen that from me because I would have liked to have played in my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. Uh, but I don't think that'll ever become possible. But uh, the rest is history. It's it's a uh, it's truly, truly a blessing and honor, and uh, I'm so fortunate. Truly, truly un unbelievable, an unbelievable story. You know, 59 years old, go back, you get nine points, 2,009 points overall in your professional career, 16 years, 13 consecutive years in Germany, and 16, I guess overall. Uh, 05, 06 with 22 games, and obviously the one game and one game in 11 and 12 and 18, 19. Um, so it's an easy question. You have to know how to speak German. <laughs> I reckon, uh, 
Ich spreche ein bisschen Deutsch. Ich bin ein Berliner. You know, when I picked it up, uh, I, I was married to a German. Uh, she worked for Lufthansa. We got married. Uh, so I, I, I'm, we're no longer married. I, uh, Tony Meal is just an amazing woman in my life that allows me to be me. I, a lot of people, I am a little crazy. Uh, I take up challenges really well. Uh, this day and age, the body parts are all falling apart. I have asthma, which takes away from it a little bit, but I just look back and with all the great people, as I mentioned, Elmer Smiths and Mark McKay and, and Marvin Glazers of the world, there are so many more people I can acknowledge. Uh, but Willie Rocker, who we've lost, uh, Olaf Clausen, one of the other doctors, without them, I, I would not have been able to keep my, you know, they used gaffer tape and nails and crazy glue to keep the body together. Um, I would have never been able to do what I did. And I think my story is more than just hockey. Uh, my passports were my skates, my passport to the world. I stole that line from Paul Stewart. Um, it has allowed me to travel the world and become more than a hockey player. Uh, it's allowed me to do my concussion work, mental health with our Connected Mental Health Initiative. It allows me to uh, teach the game, uh, allow people to understand the, the injuries, uh, the cause and uh, effect and consequences of these injuries and dealing with mental health. I lost my sister to mental health issues. So it's very dear to my heart. Uh, I almost lost my life to concussions and I will not stop pounding the drum until we prevent as many concussions as we can. We stop the silliness of suicide and that we allow ourselves to be compassionate and empathetic to people that suffer from mental illness. You went, uh, and I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, we're gonna touch upon stop concussions after the next question. Um, you, you went from difference of going, you know, from junior or major junior to professional uh, back in 79, then obviously going to professional um, right after that in Germany. What, um, what was that like? Because you, you don't see that now and you probably won't because there's so many more levels, but going from junior hockey, major junior hockey to professional in Germany, what, 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 what was that like? Well, really quickly, uh, you saw that I only played three games in the Western Hockey League. Yeah. Um, it, it was, it was a choice. Um, I had an opportunity. I was trying to get traded. I, I won't go through all the politics, of course, in hockey. Yeah. I, I was a really good player, fast. And again, they classified me as this undisciplined player in Western Hockey League. It, you know, Broad Street Bullies, up and down. If you don't touch the puck, you get the puck. If you're not Gretzky, dump it in, bash and crash. And that wasn't my game. So I learned uh, that I couldn't play on the particular style of, of team that uh, the Calgary Wranglers wanted. So I asked for a trade. And unfortunately, uh, the general manager slash coach at that time didn't trade any of us. And so I came home and played for uh, MMGHL. And that allowed me to really become a better hockey player, believe it or not. Uh, and I saw myself, I didn't want to travel as much, you know, all around in a, a, a bus. So in the MMGHL, you stayed in that particular city not getting drafted, not going to the professional route. At that time, I bounced around, played in what's called the cash league, which played for the Allen Cup. It was a senior league. And so it, it actually was not professional. You got a couple hundred dollars a week to, you know, for a stipend. Uh, but it taught me how to play with the bo big boys. And that's what really got me prepared to go over to Europe. And so when I got to Europe, 
Uh, it was kind of a, a, a crazy time. Uh, it was in 1988. Uh, you know, the Berlin Wall was up. Uh, there wasn't much TV. There was only MTV. Uh, there was no CNN or uh, English television whatsoever. Uh, I was living on the border of Belgium, uh, Belgium, Holland, and Germany in a little town called Eschweiler. Uh, it allowed me to go over the border, which was five minutes away. Uh, it was an EU, so I got across the border with my passport. Had Dutch Gilda, which is a form of money. Uh, everything was in um, English subtitles, uh, the movies, TV. So I didn't really leave home. I could get some English television there. Uh, it really prepared me for being there for a long time because it allowed me to understand that the people idolized you more than Gretzky. When you lived in their city, you were their moment of distraction of their hard work. So when you played, they worked hard all week to put some money out to come and see me and our players play. So we had to play at our best. So it gave me that understanding that every game I needed to play at the top of my game. And I really think playing in Eschweiler in the fourth division in a town that wasn't really an ice hockey town gave me the opportunity to understand if I'm going to stay here, it's the fans that are going to keep me here. Yes, I'm going to have to score goals, win games, but if the fans didn't like me, I could be going home quickly. And I learned that very young. And I would take hours after every game, sign autographs. Some people thought it was arrogant, egotistical, wanted to be in front of the camera, sign those autographs. No, it was about understanding that those people invested in me. I could invest my time and energy in them. And that's how I, I got blessed to stay 16 years and, and have a pretty cool experience. And within, within those 16 years and, and, and currently working with stopconcussions.com, um, the director for 10 years now. If people don't know, what do you do um, and what is it about? Well, yeah, thank you. I learned at a young age, my, my buddy had broken his neck at, I was uh, 17, he was my linemate, he was 19, his name's Robert Belfort out of Winnipeg. And he broke his neck in a, a diving accident in the summer. And a bunch of guys went down across the border, Winnipeg to Grand Forks. I couldn't go that weekend. And the boys just had some fun, drank a couple of too many beers, I wasn't old enough to do it anyways. University town, and he made a bad choice and dove in the wrong end of the swimming pool. And it changed all of our lives very quickly, understanding that we were not these gladiators dressed up in hockey gear. Our life could change in an instant, and his did. So it really, at that time, allowed me to understand compassion and empathy. Um, the fact of don't take it for granted, could change at any moment. And that was really a turning point in my life to understand that um, give back to those that cannot give back to themselves. Give back to those that can't help themselves uh, because of the fact of either an injury or an illness. My parents instilled that in me anyway. So it was just a, that moment, that breakaway moment. And I would go to the hospital every day up through the quad floor, seeing people that could not get out of bed who were lost limbs or broken backs and couldn't move from the neck down, which that was Robert. Never complained, went there, met, met him all the time. And he was a happy-go-lucky guy. Never never once regretted the fact of what had happened to him or put it down that, you know, look at the cards I was dealt. He made me feel good and he made me feel comfortable. 
And that was a lesson. So as I went through life, I then became uh, a philanthropist with no money, but a philanthropist through and through. And it was when I was at his funeral that I really learned the lesson. I had flown back uh, from Toronto because I was living here and he was living in Winnipeg. I would go and see him three times a year. Even playing, I would always go back to Toronto or Winnipeg. And I was asked to do the eulogy for Bobby. And uh, I, I was going back to see some colleagues I hadn't seen probably in 25, 30 years. I'd be standing in front of, there was 200 people at the, uh, at the funeral. Um, and it was beautiful that his mother and his brothers and sisters had asked me to do the eulogy. And I got up there and I had this big long-winded speech that I'd written on the plane uh, and got to the, I guess, the pulpit, looked around and saw all these people. And I, I'd say I was a little bit nervous. And I took the speech and said to myself at that time, Bob's not worth, it's not right. You shouldn't be reading, it should come from the heart. I don't need to mention all these silly things that I wrote on paper. And I just said to myself and then subsequently to everybody else, I said, why are we here? Why did Bobby bring us to this room? And I said, you know, he was teaching us throughout our life. It wasn't what we collected along our journey, the trophies, the cars, the money, the houses, the women, the men, the trophies, the accolades. What he taught me is what we gave back would be our true legacy. That was what it was, and it still is today, the words that I live by. And it was because of his ability to teach, even though he wasn't anywhere with us. He taught even just laying in a bed, not moving. He taught people to understand compassion and empathy. Those are words that are easy to say, they're tough to live by. And I promised myself uh, when I lost Bobby, my mother, my father, my sister, that I would live up to those words. And I think through Stop Concussions has given me the opportunity to do that. Through Connected Mental Health, it's allowed me to do that. I don't just talk the talk, I walk the talk. And I don't do it for anything other than the fact that we can make a difference and uh, we can stand up. We've all gone through trials and tribulations. Don't judge the book by the cover. Read the book, read the story first and then judge the book. And I think that's what I've learned. And I think it's important that we all take those words to heart. At the end of the day, when it is no longer your time to be on the planet, you will have an epitaph. And what does it read? That you were a millionaire? Man, not going to make a difference. That you changed and helped millions of people along your way? Man, no better words than having that written. And I hope that's what's written on mine. Absolutely. Uh, great story once again. And you use your platform to not just talk about the NHL and have myself on and have Stephen Ellis of the Hockey News on and all these other guys and, and just talk to former NHLers. Use the platform of uh, your show, right? The Gooch, the Gooch Live Show um, to talk about stop concussions, to talk about mental health and not just focus about the game. Uh, I, I see that you have people on that I don't even know, but it's nothing to do with hockey. It's about sometimes mental health and all that, which is absolutely brilliant and fantastic. Yeah. Talk about the show, um, what what the main basis of it is. It's on YouTube Live, Facebook Live um, yeah. as well, which I had the pleasure of being on, as mentioned, You're on great. the top, uh, hopefully to be on more. Um, but talk you about will, the, the Gooch Live show and and, and how'd, you, how'd you get into it? 
Well, yeah, Gooch Live uh, is featuring Paul Rosen. Of course, Paul Rosen won a uh, Olympic gold medal with us uh, yes. with para hockey back in 2006, Torino. Uh, I don't. I never really thought about being doing this type of stuff, though. You know, it 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 comes natural. I can stand in front of a mic, or and you, as yourself, I can stand in front of one person or three thousand people and express myself. And self-taught, didn't go to school. Um, and so it was back when uh, Graham Rooston bought the Hockey News. He was looking for a new digital platform. Uh, and he had asked me, uh, Kerry, would you be interested in doing a show for me? And I don't need you to come on and analytics because I'm not great with analytics when it comes to the game. I know how to analyze the game, but I don't understand all the, you know, especially today's lingo. Um, and he wanted me to present the other side of the game, the background parts, the lifestyle, the, the, the training, the, the parts of the travel, going from the rink to the hotel, to the bus, to the plane, traveling to these exotic places around the world that I was blessed to travel for stop concussions, Germany, China, on the Great Wall of China, Berlin by the Brandenburg, by Brandenburg Gate, Singapore, all these great locations. And he said, could you do that? I said, man, I'd love to. He said, listen, we've started it. We've got this great platform. Stephen Ellis is running the show along with uh, Ken Campbell and uh, uh, Jay and all these great guys over the Hockey News. It's your show. Come and do something. And they had Mike Keenan and uh, they had great, great reporters, you know. Uh, they have them now, I think Matt Larkin and Stephen Ellis is on there. They can really talk about the NHL. And I said, mine's not just going to be about that. I'll talk with the old dudes. I'll try and get someone like Brent Burns and Ian Coles of the world on. But I want to get Nicholas, uh, yourself on, Stephen Ellis on, uh, all these young guys that are coming up and talk to Ronnie Ellis's and Daryl Sittner's about stories that we may have not heard. That's where the Gooch Live kind of came and Paul came on as a co-host. And what we've done is basically taken a show uh, that was a weekly show before the pandemic, going down to Adelaide Street where their, their uh, studio was, sitting in front of cameras, professional gear and putting on a show. And I would travel to Auckland, Australia, as I mentioned on, a, on the China Wall, the Great Wall of China, traveling all over the place Paul would stay in the studio. That was kind of what the story was going to be. Well, COVID hit us. And Paul and I just sat there and said, oh, what luck. We just started a, a video podcast and we're already shut down because they had closed down the studio. And I said, hey, listen, everybody's doing these things called podcasts. Why don't we try that? So we started up Facebook Live on my personal account, Gooch Live or Terry Goulet. And it just one day to the next, we were no good at it. We were just talking and throwing stuff out there and gained a little bit of a populace with people coming on and listening to us. It went from 10 people to 40 people to 100 people. And we hover around anywhere from 20 to 150 people live a show. And after 24 hour time period from people in Australia, New Zealand, Germany, all over the world, we get 350 to 4,000 views depending on guests and timing. 
and we just do it because we love it. We, we get to talk uh, the game we love, to get to talk about uh, things that we did, things that you do, things that other people do in the game. And then it allows us to have a platform to talk about Mental Health Mondays, which we do every Monday. It's at seven o'clock at night where we bring on guests and talk about the trials and tribulations that we all have. Nicholas, as you know, nobody goes unscathed without mental illness throughout their life, whether it's you or somebody in your life. Nobody goes without knowing a story of somebody that commits suicide. But the fact that we have kids, teenagers, ending their lives before they've experienced their life, shame on us. And so that's why we've really gained popularity, popular with our Mental Health Mondays. We will continue on doing that. We have a voice, we have a platform, and we will bring everybody and any on, anybody on to make sure that we get the message out. You're not alone. Our number is there all the time. I'm 24 seven. You have a concussion, you call me. You have mental health issues, you call me. You textbook me, you Facebook me, you twit me, you tweet me, you twit me. <laughs> you will do whatever you can, get a hold of us, and we will find the right people to help you. There is help 24 seven. We will find a way. Uh, Scott Haller from Concussion Management, Shift Concussion Management, incredible. You have a concussion, we have that person. Stephen Morris, uh, an incredible psychotherapist, will help with your mental health issues. Listen to Paul talk. Listen to Chuck Basti talk. Pete Bombacci, myself. We are here and we're not going away. So thank you for giving me a platform, a, a pedestal, a soapbox to do the shout out. We're not alone. We're together in this. United, we're going to get out of this. We're not going to get out of this individually. We are going to get out of this collectively. We know that the world has been challenged with bushfires in, uh, obviously, in Australia. Floods. A volcano erupted in New Zealand where we lost a bunch of people. Uh, the traumatic experiences which COVID has brought to us. Um, the issues down in the States, which are just beyond understanding. The loss of innocent lives through the Black Lives Matter. Uh, we have been thrown a heck of a lot in one year. And we as the adults in the picture have to pick ourselves up and realize we are showing our youth what the world needs to be. And I hope the youth follow us as an example versus the hectic, I don't even know the word, I can't even, and I'm not even gonna bring up people's names, but the disgrace that democracy is being shown down in the United States of America with no politics involved. We are all to blame for this. And I hope that when I'm dead and gone, we've changed the pattern of history and that we become a nation, a world globally that love with no color. Absolutely. We bleed red, we all live red. And so there should not be a color of our skin that determines who we are and what we stand for. And, you know, wise words from yourself, uh, Carrie. Listen, uh, that's why I do stuff like this as well. I don't get paid to do this. I mean, I, I'm at home during COVID-19 um, and I'm staying safe. My family's staying safe, but I love the game of hockey. And, and you know, you you do a little bit of the concussion stuff like your, your, your friend Jim Thompson does as well. Um, 
former NHLer and played with Wayne Gretzky and what he's known for helping people life coaching yeah. interventions and stuff like that. But that's, that's why fantastic. I want to talk to people. I, I talked to a former NHLer. I talked to an OHLer, a kid right now. I talked to yourself and Jim who have played pro and then have stories like this because it also gives me more knowledge and it gives everyone else more knowledge and yourselves a platform, even though as much as you probably don't need it because you have your own platforms, oh, but another God. one here, um, you know, to, to make me more informed and make everyone else more informed. And I, I do appreciate you coming on. Well, I can't thank you. And I think uh, what we've learned now, um, if we save one life, we have uh, we can take that away as, as a victory. Uh, we have so many, so many lives to save. So it's going to be this, they say it takes a village. I hate to use the terminology, it takes an army, but it takes an army of goodwillers to do this. And so I call upon all of us to lend a hand take a moment to see that person that's on the street and realize, don't judge them. Pick them up. Embrace them. Engage them. Yeah. And I think we're going to be a far better world to live in. So I thank you, Nicholas, for giving me the opportunity to, to talk about it, to empathize with people, and most importantly, to educate and engage. Absolutely, Kerry. Uh, listen, I appreciate you coming on once again. Hopefully uh, we can do this down the line. Hopefully I can Absolutely. come on your show as well. Cause it's just at the end of the day during these times as well, it's just great chats uh, more than me wanting to be on and me trying to get you on here. It's just, it's just great chats at the end of the day. It's fantastic. That, that, I, that I don't take for granted as well. So thank you for coming on. Uh, listen, everyone, that was Kerry Goulet uh, on episode number 30 of Mamma Mia. This is fire talk, uh, former professional European ice hockey player. And most importantly, in my opinion, uh, stopconcussions.com director for 10 years as well as the Gooch live show with Paul Rosen 4 p.m. every day 7 p.m. Monday's mental health uh, shows as well on YouTube live and Facebook live I'm Nicholas Fiore the broadcast was of the Oakville Blades Instagram lives upon us more shows upon us you want to check it out because hey we have nothing else to do except watch the Leafs now I guess but hey come on I appreciate your support very much everyone stay safe out there during COVID Thanks for tuning in, and mamma mia. Mamma mia. Now Davis takes it and looks to come the other way. Davis is in, trying to drive, and he will look to go across. Good play to Davis, though, to get it right back to him. He goes down low to Israel's. Centering, it's there. Scores! Stevie, Stevie, Stevie! Steven Whittle scores his first OJHL playoff goal for the Oakville Blades. This game is opening up in a big way for both teams. Ricketts, centering, what a pass, Israel's breakaway, the move, scores! What a goal for the Alaska Fairbanks commit, the assistant captain, Harrison Israel's, with an absolute dandy. Download Alliance, Jack Lyons, centering, scores! The double jacks combine as the, that puck popped up like a jack in a box, and it's Jack Ricketts from Jack Lyons. 6-1 on the 40th shot of the game. It's all over. Well, Smith hits it in. A chance here can develop, but the Blades will look to take it. And is and Ricketts finds Israels. Breakaway Israels. A chance backhand. Rebound.
Blades win! Blades win! Blades win! That was Mamma Mia! This is Fire Talk with Nicholas Fiore. Thank you for watching and stay tuned for the next episode.